Welcome to the show, and don't forget to check out this month's Nebula exclusive, Giant Space Monsters, as we explore everything from Space Kraken to Giant Sandworms. To get access and help support the show while hearing every episode early and ad-free, plus hours of bonus content, check out go.nebula.tv slash and use my code IsaacArthur. Until recently, a planet-wide state of quarantine seemed almost unimaginable, but in the future, could entire planets be quarantined from the rest of space, and what dreadful causes could necessitate such measures? Welcome back to SFIA for another Sci-Fi Sunday, where we examine concepts we see in science fiction and try to bring some science and realism to them. Today our target is quarantine worlds, if they would exist and why, how you might enforce such quarantines, and what life on one might be like. The first question would seem the easiest to answer since we are talking about an entire inhabited planet, and our only example of that is Earth itself which may not be quarantined but on which we can't exactly escape from yet. As we'll see though, especially when we start considering planets under development, or inhabited moons or major space habitats, that changes quite a lot. And as we contemplated in our recent episode on pan-cosmoyal theory, many planets might be terribly vulnerable to being cut off from outside civilization. Quarantine hypothesis is the concept in discussion of the Fermi Paradox that Earth might be in a quarantine itself and it raises the question of what sort of motivation of quarantine you have. Of course some sort of pandemic is the most obvious motivation that comes to mind, to keep the plague from spreading, but this could be knowledge of the quarantine you wish to prevent spread of, so that those under quarantine didn't know of it, or potentially your own civilization either. If we are under quarantine we wouldn't know it, and this has overtones the Star Trek Prime Directive of not interfering with primitive cultures. So too, if you are quarantining a planet with primitive life, say one composed of sentient crystals, you might feel the need to keep that secret from your own citizens so they didn't start showing up to harvest them and disrupt that ecology, something we'll discuss more in next month's episode Crystal Aliens. A galactic empire also might quarantine a planet that had disturbing ideas, like freedom and democracy, which has been the plot of a story or two. Indeed, even ignoring incredibly unethical reasons, we might have to contain a planet in which some terrifying meme had arisen that drove people to crazy behaviors, or on which some techno-organic virus or nanomachines had gotten loose. It is even possible that the quarantine is not some armada up in orbit, but some higher-tech scenario, like placing civilizations into pocket universes or, or simulation civilizations. They may not view it as a big deal to stick you in the matrix while your body is in suspension, or stick your brain in a jar, or even scan someone's brain, vaporize the body, and transfer their uploaded mind into a simulation. Indeed they may not have quarantined that whole planet, it might be that just a few thousand people from it are being quarantined in a simulation, and most of the folks they meet are simulations, impressive equivalents of NPCs or chat GPT. It may be that the method of imprisoning or reforming people would be this sort of simulated quarantine and raises the other point of who is doing the monitoring. It is a very different thing to monitor for blatant transmission or spacecraft compared to checking if people have stopped suffering from whatever malady of mind or body or ethics they had that caused the quarantine. For that matter, especially if you are trying to quarantine an idea, just running radar to watch for fleeing spacecraft isn't too effective. 
Considering the duration of some types of quarantine, like keeping a primitive species from being contacted by your own civilization, you might want to consider dedicated and monomaniacal artificial intelligence machine monitors for the job too. After all, if you found some primitive humans playing with fire, which we think we discovered over a million years ago, that is a pretty long wait. There's quite a cost to maintaining a fleet there the entire time too. Also, we should ask if it is plausible someone might maintain a quarantine for that long. Can you imagine your nation's policies on almost any given topic, especially one that needed a big budget, lasting unchanged even a century, let alone 10,000 centuries or more? And what does your fleet do if another fleet from home arrives a couple centuries later saying policy has changed and you are going to colonize that planet now, screw the population below? Or what would your home world do if that Guardian fleet decided they wanted to settle that solar system, either the planet itself or some of the barren rocks nearby, and you said yes and a few thousand years later that local population on those terraformed planets or constructed space habitats says they don't want to be part of your federation or empire anymore. Nor can we seriously contemplate a single ship or weak force left behind. For any quarantine to be effective it needs to be able to repel any attempt coming in, mindful that in the absence of FTL it may be decades before any reinforcements could arrive. FTL might change that situation if it is somehow possible, but also exacerbates it by making it much easier and faster to reach. Limited to sublight, a primitive alien planet might have monitors way out in the Oort Cloud with months or even years to spot and handle a threat, not just be in orbit of that planet. In Arthur C. Clarke's second Space Odyssey novel, 2010, the sequel to 2001, the unknown Malith building aliens turn Jupiter into a second sun and famously say in all caps, in regard to Jupiter's various moons, All these worlds are yours, except Europa. Attempt no landing there. Use them together. Use them in peace. And they are shown to have seemingly impossible technologies, indeed what we often call Clark Tech on this channel as a hat tip to Clark and his comments about any sufficiently advanced technology being indistinguishable from magic. So they might have impressive options for rapid detection and counteraction available. Indeed they might have something weird like time travel available to repeal any interference. We could, on that note, contemplating quarantine dangerous timelines too or parallel universes. And that is a plotline of the Loki television series. But I would not count on us being able to enforce a quarantine indefinitely with a big ominous monolith and a couple commandments carved into them or a beacon transmitting them. Indeed in the book series, humanity repeatedly ignores that warning and attempts landings on Europa, they just keep failing. I should note that calling the bluff of a more advanced civilization is a risky thing to do, especially as it might not be a bluff just slow to respond and with devastatingly lethal force. But if you tell folks not to try to land and the only result is the probe is destroyed, you're just guaranteeing more gets sent. Indeed the primitive Europans we find out are living there, under monolith protection, have some debris from crashed probes and venerate it. On the flip side of that, normally a quarantine is about containing a danger under quarantine, not protecting those inside from infection. So for instance those Europans might be a threat to you if they got out into space, potentially in an abstract way of being smarter or faster to breed or better at handling new environments like space. You might even say you're trying to protect them from you, 
but in reality at least part of your motivations, even if subconscious, might be a fear of competition. Orson Scott Card contemplates this point in his classic novel Speaker for the Dead and it's a fairly strong rebuttal of the classic Star Trek Prime Directive. Here they didn't do much heavy quarantine, the people on the planet were a small town at a single location when they encountered the intelligent aliens and they just stuck up a high-tech wall around their encampment and limited interaction. They are already confident their presence doesn't represent a microbial doomsday to the planet at this point, and they don't think they need to go beyond this measure and deport the people or send in fleets to guard the place. They later do send a fleet, and not for quarantine, but that's another story and one called told so no need for spoilers. And if the planet needing quarantine that we're talking about is a chunk of your own civilization with similar technology to you, then even if you have a fleet of dozens of mile-long spaceships in orbit with entire divisions of marines, war machines, and other kilomajigs ready for deployment, it's still an entire planet you're contemplating trying to handle. As we discussed in our other episodes like planetary invasions and dropships, you might have gigaton-scale battlecruisers miles long, but the notion that your fleet enjoys the high ground, simply because their weapons can speed up flying down to hit you while yours lose speed flying up to hit them, only makes sense if we're assuming chemical rockets are the limit of your spaceship drive technology. If they have engines able to economically move ships up to interstellar speeds, and you do too, neither of you enjoys much tactical advantage from gravity. Except in the sense that if you're at the bottom of a big gravity well, it's because there's a ton of mass down there with you. As such, you have huge amounts of raw materials to call upon. Down on that planet, they might have individual guns that they are sticking up out of mountains or giant weapons platforms that roam the ocean depths as submarines, rising just long enough to hose your fleet. And more importantly, they can build more stuff too. Those might be blockade runners assembled on the fly from huge amounts of supplies and equipment down that planet. Alternatively, they might build and operate entire underground cities worth of megafactories, building ships or anti-ship mortar missiles and flak cannons that fire nukes off at machine gun rates of fire. A civilized planet of a spacefaring society also likely has a lot of orbital infrastructure too, which might include giant space defense guns or space ports and space habitats home to billions of people. Some large space habitat like an O'Neill Cylinder is also a very different prospect to quarantine than a planet, and any or all of these assets in orbit may or may not be part of that quarantine or instead part of maintaining that quarantine. From which we can conclude how a quarantine goes down is very very dependent on why a place is being quarantined. Let's review some of the common reasons. Let's start with containment of a pandemic, the most common reason. If a highly infectious and deadly disease arises, quarantining the planet could be the only way to prevent its spread to other planets or civilizations. This would be particularly important if the disease is unknown or untreatable with existing medical technology, and this may include non-biological or quasi-biological diseases. So too, it is very likely quarantines would be common for spaceships docking at spaceports in orbit of planets or docking rings of space habitats, where medical aid could be sent and where everything is already under airtight control. In some cases, like concerns about a nanobot virus or a computer virus, a spaceship might be so quarantined that no physical connection or docking was allowed and where the ship was placed in a Faraday cage and targeted constantly with nanometer wavelength detection beams and various heavy weapons with unforgiving control protocols. 
Which takes us to scientific research. Since a planet or space facility might find itself conducting dangerous research that requires lockdown protocols or have an accident that necessitated a fleet arrive to quarantine it. You might be working with dangerously clever artificial intelligence and wrap it with a Faraday cage, nukes, and a disconnected outer layer of those unforgiving heavy weapons platforms I mentioned a moment ago. You could do that to an entire planet, and you might have to if it turned out they were monkeying with advanced nanobots to help in terraforming and it went wrong, perhaps some rogue group was experimenting with hive minds instead, and that got out and now you have a planet where a growing number of people are infected and some fleeing it turned out to be carriers or brainwashed converts. So you slapped a quarantine over the whole planet. You don't want to glass the place, it is still an intelligent organism, and what's more there's probably still tons of unconverted people below, which your quarantine might have to throw to the wolves, or those wolves might keep them as hostages to limit things to a quarantine rather than a sterilization action, precisely so you don't glass the place with nukes. It need not be a hive mind either. The piece of art that inspired this episode and I'm using as the cover art shows something like a high-tech zombie apocalypse down on a planet. It is not hard to imagine those happening in a civilization with lots of mind augmentation and cybernetics. Some element of a civilization is experimenting with outright brainwashing by computer virus, and if things don't quite work as planned, those brainwashed populations would be another thing you might want to quarantine. There's also that concern that advanced technology might make it virtually impossible for civilizations to exist without various lone madmen printing doomsday devices in their basement, and one option for handling that is to chip everyone so they can't engage in certain extreme crimes. There's a thousand ways that might go wrong without even assuming an unethical and Orwellian government running it and yet many might believe, rightly or wrongly, that it was the lesser of two evils and could be kept safe. And if that went wrong, you might suddenly need a quarantine. We also might imagine a planet or space habitat that volunteered to test such a method, or was even founded by volunteers specifically to do this experiment, and around which a lot of monitors and quarantine procedures and hardware were placed, for transparency of experiment and the safety of those in the experiment and the broader civilization outside. So too, a planet might be quarantined to preserve its unique conditions for scientific study ensuring that external factors do not contaminate or influence ongoing experiments or observations. If we found life based on silicon or ammonia or crystals, we might quarantine it for study. This takes us to the protection of native ecosystems as a reason for quarantine. To prevent the accidental introduction of invasive species that could disrupt or destroy native ecosystems, a civilization might quarantine a planet. This is akin to how countries on Earth quarantine certain goods to prevent the spread of pests and diseases. From a practical standpoint, I can only think of this as a temporary quarantine because it would only take one shuttle with one person landing on that planet and sneezing to potentially set up a biological apocalypse. Thankfully, planets have atmospheres that are likely to burn up anything coming in accidentally or as space junk, though icy moons like Europa with a subsurface ocean below that might hold life would be a bit more vulnerable to something crashing there from the low atmosphere and gravity. The surface is covered in very deep ice and often saturated with lethal radiation, hence most plants will have some natural protection from casual infection by outside microbes. There's also a decent chance they wouldn't thrive as well in an alien environment as existing organisms evolved to that environment, 
but that is not a gamble one is wise to take. Nor would I take the gamble that people would voluntarily and without exception try not to land. If you don't send teams in, scientists will be the folks sneaking in, and probably more skillfully and with more covert support than somebody trying to hide there or smuggle alien life off the planet. If you do send a science team in, it's only a matter of time till an accident rips a suit and unleashes some terrestrial microbes into that environment and vice versa. Now you can lower those odds by mostly using robots we oven bait before letting them roam the surface, but for that quarantine to work, you need indefinite monitors there and one possessed of serious weapons, not just for smugglers and ne'er-do-wells, but so that you can flat out glass some location that's been the site of a possible infection. It's a bit distasteful to consider nuking a spot on a planet that you are trying to protect, but keep in mind that even burning a one kilometer wide swatch of destruction on an Earth-sized planet is taking out about one billionth of its surface and critters. It is brutal, but if planet-wide extinctions are the alternative, it is a small price to pay, and not one you can wait long to enact. However, in a more realistic vein, it's quite likely we would have good nanotech and genetic engineering by the time we reached any other star system and might be able to unleash countermeasures that would be able to wipe out any given microbe species without touching anything else. Conceptually we could imagine some nanobots able to search and find terrestrial microbes but that were limited to 30 replication cycles and a half-life of a few days each. You can always dump more if the infection repeats, but that is on the table, especially if they have safeguards for handling them if they go rogue or someone repurposes them as a bioweapon. But in any event, it seems an impossible timeline to protect this planet, and so your scientists might just be taking mini samples to later put into a ton of redundant space habitats designed to be nature preserves. They don't even have to be on that planet, or in that star system. It's entirely possible you just send back the DNA, or its alien equivalent, as digital code for storage and 50 different redundant and sturdy backups and then grow some of those alien ecosystems on nature preserve space habitats back here in the solar system. A lone space habitat is much easier to protect and quarantine, so is a hundred of them with various biomes from that planet in each, and a hundred more that are just minor variations of copies of those first hundred and a ton of backup digital genetic information and observations. Thus you can get away with a temporary quarantine to gather data over some decades or centuries, and I think you would do this anyway, even if planning to keep the quarantine longer, because it covers your bases if that quarantine does fail. You also might use those archives to restore the planet if something happened, and ecological restoration is a quarantine option too. You quarantine the place while you rebuild fragile ecosystems after some damaging event, artificial or natural. These aren't necessarily previously quarantined planets either, it might be a normal space settlement that just got wrecked. Over long periods of time these will tend to happen, so a post-event recovery plan is wise and likely would include further quarantine. And this is an indefinite task, since life presumably wants to continue on that planet till its parent star dies and presumably you want to protect that life after that too and from all the natural extinction events that would wipe things out. I do not personally care what Darwinian natural selection decides about something's suitability, it would be like respecting the opinion of a set of dice. If dinosaurs can be brought back, I would like to do so. And you could just keep their outdated alien equivalents in another artificial habitat, 
you might need to reboot this occasionally or build a new one with archived DNA every couple of million years since evolution does not stop, though you can make it do so, of course. You might also consider digital replacements too, not just digital archives of DNA to print real DNA from, but just running vast elaborate simulations of the alien ecosystem. No need to worry about genetic drift then, unless you program that in. But for preservation of primitive cultures, we do have potential natural graduation points, as they presumably either get spacefaring or get wiped out. We've discussed the Star Trek Prime Directive before many times, indeed it has its own episode, so we'll skim this topic, but if a planet is home to primitive or emerging intelligent life, a more advanced civilization might quarantine the planet to prevent cultural contamination or to allow the native species to develop without external interference. Interesting food for thought on this one though is that some species might never graduate, as intelligent dolphins might never learn to make technology without fire or take tens of millions of years to do it and might need indefinite quarantine for protection. Or it might be some primitive faction or splinter of your own civilization that you are protecting from neighbors. They might be a parallel to an Amish or Mennonite group, low tech, and you protect them the same as you would a primitive alien civilization. They may or may not be aware of you doing this, and so too, since this isn't Star Trek, you might quarantine a primitive planet and flat out tell them you're doing it, complete with handing local tribal elders a walkie-talkie to call for help with. And again, this isn't a space opera so we don't have to assume villains doing evil things for the sake of trolling their mustaches, so high-tech civilizations are not likely to be quarantining a world to use its people for slave labor, nor for some rare element only to be found on their planet. We could imagine some biological organism unique to a planet that we found very valuable and used the locals to extract, but again, kinda mustache trolling you figure out how to grow it elsewhere or synthesize it in a lab or build a space habitat just to grow that material, which to be fair you might then quarantine for safety or profit, and you do not use locals, you use robots. Unless you want their specific expertise, the locals know the plant or critter that produces the whatever, in which case friendship and bribery is probably better than coercion since traditionally complex and skilled tasks are better performed by the willing. But again, based on what we know of the universe, there's not going to be many unique things besides biology and art a planet has, and those can be obtained anyway without wrecking the place. Even the Spice Melange from the Dune series is eventually replicated for production away from Arrakis. Containment of hazardous materials or technologies is another quarantine scenario that might encompass local biology, but we can also imagine quarantine against physical danger. In a case where a planet is used for the storage or experimentation with dangerous materials or technologies, such as biological weapons or experimental energy sources, quarantining the planet would be a safety measure to prevent accidental exposure or misuse. This might be overt physical danger like a weapons research lab or antimatter storage depot, or it could be an inherently dangerous place like a black hole or neutron stall that you've got to quarantine around to keep folks from entering not just for their own protection either, remember Type 1A supernovae are what happens when a white dwarf absorbs enough matter to reach its explosive point, and neutron stars and black holes can both set off very damaging blasts when suddenly given a lot of new matter at once too. 
This is all the truer if you are intentionally trickle-feeding a black hole matter to obtain power via the Penrose mechanism, which we assume anyone who can get a black hole would do, and suddenly having this disrupted might be very bad. We will look at this more later this week in our Black Hole Technologies episode. However, you might be quarantining a planet because it's got some insanely dangerous plagues on it, or it might be one big pile of grey goo. Indeed, a planet that's been completely grey gooed would likely have a constantly churning surface layer with smothered and dead bots below over the magma layer, potentially making for an interesting and evolving ecosystem that you have lots of different motivations for quarantining. But ideas can be dangerous too, and we might want to quarantine a meme, or as we suggested earlier, something like a hive mind or brainwashing technology. You could have viruses or nanobots that you spread ideas to, some tailored bug that made you very susceptible to a given belief, or made you gullible or relaxed or homicidally violent. Indeed nature has already produced quite a lot of mind-altering viruses, bugs, and parasites. We explored that more in our episode Parasitic Aliens. Another option is that your planet might be a prison planet, we've looked at those before too, possibly for just cause, and your quarantine is to keep them from escaping that planet or moon or space habitat, possibly for dangerous political prisoners with dangerous ideas, which might mean you are oppressive dictators or might mean they have truly dangerous ideas. We could contemplate a universe in which Cthulhu-like dark gods existed, and some knowledge is just truly inherently dangerous or evil though nuking the place seems wiser in such scenarios. Prison planets are also a place where a temporary quarantine could be possible, as we discussed in that episode that might be a phase of planetary settlement where criminals were given the option of probation to dangerous new worlds with the understanding that they could settle it and make it a good place to live if they worked together. You might leave power satellites up in space to beam energy down to the settlements that also have the ability to function as detectors, transmitters, and weapon systems, and you're probably not sending mafia leadership or supervillains to places like that either. As such, your cordon might not need to be very impressive or long-lasting, as this might be a minimum security prison equivalent. Escaping a planet is not an easy task, or even a moon or asteroid mine. It's a lot harder than getting out of Alcatraz, since it's surrounded by a void empty of all but lethal radiation. Obviously a prison planet colony could be a fairly unethical scenario even if done with fairly honest and honorable intentions, but then that's been the case for a lot of the scenarios we looked at today. Power can permit abuse, and the ability to quarantine someone implies a lot of power, especially over them. Each of the reasons we looked at today highlights a different aspect of interstellar responsibility and ethics, reflecting the complex considerations that would be involved in making such a significant decision as quarantine an entire planet. We didn't discuss when and how those decisions should be made, as I have no good answers for that. As everyone here knows, quarantines can happen even in high-tech civilizations and are not pleasant things, but in the end, they are probably something we will see in the future, albeit hopefully not very often, not for long, and not for bad reasons. And again there's always the possibility that all planets and ourselves are already in a quarantine, and we simply don't know it. Were that the case, I wonder which, if any, of the cases we discussed today would be the reason we were quarantined. 
we were talking about quarantine today, and virus outbreaks are something we all know more about than we ever wanted to these days, and not just about the biological kind. The internet is not a friendly place, and even excluding all the robots and people acting out of greed or malice, even honest and well-intentioned actors can expose you to danger simply by not having tight enough security on the data they've gotten for you. This has gotten way worse in recent years for all of us, and part of being an online public figure like I am is you really do attract hackers and people who just hate you. This is why I use a VPN or virtual private network and why I recommend you use NordVPN. You do not have to justify why you do not want your privacy infringed. That privacy is not just a right, it is your first line of defense against snoops and criminals. NordVPN lets you surf anonymously from many different secure servers around the world while maintaining high speed performance, and has a fast, easy to use, and intuitive interface that you can test out today with a 30 day money back guarantee at nordvpn.com slash IsaacArthur. One of NordVPN's best features though is NordVPN proxy extensions that lets you easily control which sites you visit with or without the VPN on, split tunneling, so you can log into your bank with your real IP while going to other websites with the IP of the VPN server you're using, and you can set up different VPN servers on different browsers, including loaned devices. Use the web safer and hassle-free with NordVPN, go to nordvpn.com slash and try it out risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Well that wraps us up for another Sci-Fi Sunday here on SFIA, but we have plenty more coming out this month, starting this Thursday, February 15th, where we'll explore various technologies made possible through black holes, including galaxy-wrecking weapons we call Quasar Cannons. Then on the 22nd we'll ask for this possible tail from the moon to have green lands, blue seas, and white clouds, just like Earth. And then visit the topic of vacuum trains and other hyperfast transit systems on Sunday, February 25th, before finishing the month on February 29th, as we leap into the topic of life on a colony ox ship carrying people to new worlds that will carry us ahead into this leap year. If you'd like to get alerts when those and other episodes come out, make sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notification buttons. You can also help support the show on Patreon, and if you'd like to donate or help in other ways, you can see those options by visiting our website, IsaacArthur.net. You can also catch all of SFIA's episodes early and ad-free on our streaming service, Nebula, along with hours of bonus content like Topopolis, The Eternal River, at go.nebula.tv slash IsaacArthur. As always, thanks for watching, and have a great week.